good to see you. Oh, we had a heat wave today, didn't we? Amazing, got up here, it's like 40 degrees warmer than it was yesterday. In fact, anybody who wants to join Mary and me, we're going down for a bike ride and swim at Edgewater Park this afternoon, and so we'd love to have you be there with us. But glad to have you see friends from Canada. Great to have the friends from Canada, yes, and others who are from whatever country or state. Really thankful to have you here. Let's pray. Lord, we want to say, as we sang in that song, thank you for being the same always. You never change. You're the same God who heard the cries of Hagar when she felt abused, and you hear us today. You're the same God who provided for your people when they were in a place of total crisis. You're the same God who heard the prayers of Hannah and provided a little one. The same God who enabled David to face the giants. Same God who healed Naaman. Same God who transformed people like Lydia and the Apostle Paul. And Lord, we just, we thank you today that, that you see us today, Lord, the way you saw them. You, you know us. You know our names. You know the very number of hairs on our head. And Lord, you care about us. So I just thank you for each one here, those engaging online. And Lord, thank you that we can turn to you and find you to be our strength and our hope, our joy. Lord, thank you for other churches in our area that are just being a lighthouse in their community. We pray for our sister churches, Grace Old Brooklyn, and for Westside Alliance, Hope Alliance Church, and Hope in Brunswick, and Lord, numerous other ones. Would you encourage them? Uh, let them honor you and also be such a presence for the good of the city. Lord, you... Uh, Help us now as we look into your word. Uh, may we have eyes to see not only the truth of your word, but the truth of who you are, Lord. So uh, teach us now, we pray in your name, amen. Some of you know the name Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny was a spunky, athletic teenager. Her family lived in Maryland, and one day Johnny dove into the Chesapeake Bay, didn't know how shallow it was at that point, and had a devastating accident. She wound up, this energetic, gifted person, wound up being paralyzed from her neck down. But she didn't give up on her faith in the Lord. In fact, she would tell you that the roots of her faith went even deeper, not without struggle and grief and angry conversations with God and a lot of the rest. You can read about that in one of the numerous books she's authored. She became a, an artist. She would put a pencil in her mouth and she can draw way better than I could ever hope to draw with just a pencil in her mouth and a pad in front of her. She's spoken in numerous countries around the world. She started an organization that provides wheelchairs for people in other countries who would not otherwise have one and she's been a, an example to many other people who deal with some kind of disability. In one of her books, Johnny and her co-author Steve Estes make a statement, a comment that you'll see on the screen, and it's this. God permits what he hates to accomplish 
what he loves. Would you say that aloud with me? You ready? God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. How does that strike you? Do you think God allows stuff that he hates? Would a good and powerful God do that? Maybe you've heard of a bestseller by the title, When Bad Things Happen to Good People by Harold Kushner. Harold faced some challenges in life, some really devastating circumstances, and so he was wrestling with what kind of God. He believed in a God, but he wrestled with what kind of a God he believed in, and he thought, if God is all-loving and all-powerful, to him those were mutually exclusive because evidence in the world today, he says, I, I can't. I, I can't justify a God who's both all-loving and all-powerful because an all-powerful God would never, in his love, allow things to happen in our world today that he allows. And so what Harold Kushner came to conclude is that we have a God who's all-loving, but he's not all-powerful. And that makes sense to a lot of people. Here's the part that's a challenge, and it's really key because what you think about God is the most important thing about you, is that if you have a God who's all-powerful and not all-loving, how do you feel about a God like that? That's, that's terrifying, isn't it? If you have a dictator who's got all power and is not fully loving, you go, that's, that's frightening. But if you have a God who's all-loving but not all-powerful, he's anemic. Like, right, what, what kind of a God is he? You say he, he wants to do what's good and right and bring things together and resolve, and, but he's like, hey, I'm really sorry. I mean, I love you, but I don't, you know, that's beyond my capability. But you go, so what are we left with? If I have a God who's simultaneously all-powerful and all-good, we struggle with what we see happening in the world today, right? The injustices, heinous evil, things that take place in your life, mine are in the news, and we just go, so how, how, how does that work? Is it possible that God, in his love, permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves? This isn't really something to be put on the back burner and to go, well, you know, I don't really, anybody can really know. You know if if the, what we think about God is the most important thing about us, then we have to, we've got to really think through this. So here's what I want to do today. I want us to listen to the perspective, the voice of Jesus in the Bible, and to the perspective of nature, the voice of nature, what we would call, theologians call, you have special revelation, that's the revelation from God through the Bible, and general revelation that is what we see in the world around us, just, you know, generally revealed. And the Bible talks about both. That, you know, you read in Psalm 19, it says, the heavens, that's general revelation, declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And so what do we learn from both the, the word and the world? And I think you're gonna be encouraged today. My, my prayer is that, has been that you will leave today saying, wow, my, my faith has been strengthened in this God who, yes, I believe, permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Let's listen to the voice of Jesus first. Matthew chapter six, if you turn there with me. First book in the New Testament. And uh, if you don't have a paper Bible, you Bible app on your phone, you'll see the 
little link for that on the screen, as well as our Bible reading plan. We're going through the New Testament this year. Some great videos, maybe once or twice a week that just explain what we're reading. And, and then you can follow along on some social media as well that people at Grace uh, are commenting on the passage a couple times a week. I uh, want to say um, we love you to all of those are engaging online or at our Olmsted campus or Lorraine or listening to podcasts. There's many of you, and uh, we love you and look forward to seeing you. Let me just say a special word to the guys at Lorraine. So this past Monday, Mary and I, went to uh, Lorraine with a lot of volunteers here at Grace who go every week. In fact, they don't just go on Mondays. They go like five days a week, different ones doing job training and recovery and alpha and all the rest. But four of the guys uh, got baptized this past Monday, Malcolm and Chris and George and Scott. Congratulations to you guys. Yeah, just cheering you on. And uh, you, you encouraged me and you set an example for the guys around you and just the boldness that you have. So let me just make a, an invitation. Next Sunday, February 12th, we're having, it could be your super baptism Sunday, more important than the Super Bowl. And we're gonna do baptisms here next week. We already have like close to 20 signed up. And if you've put your trust in Jesus and said, Jesus, I want you to be at the center of my life, but you've never publicly declared that in baptism, we would love for next week to be your week. It's a, an act of obedience to Jesus. He asks it of all of us. He says, help people to become disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We follow his example, and we're just honoring him. Uh, we've said baptism is like your wedding ring or my, my wedding ring, that this is an outward symbol of an internal reality that I am totally committed to, to Mary and that I belong to her. And so I, I proudly wear this, and baptism is sort of saying the same. I, I belong to Jesus. And so you can sign up on the bulletin or online. Just go to gracemay.org slash baptism. And we promise the water's gonna be warm next week, right? We're not doing this in Lake Erie or something, okay? So we're wrapping up our series today on the Lord's Prayer, without question the most prayed prayer in all of history. And it's a pattern for us, really an invitation, that Jesus is inviting you into the adventure of prayer. Well, I don't want us to miss that in the whole big picture, that as we delve into one phrase today, the last phrase of the Lord's Prayer, that, that Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to know you can pray. You can have a personal relationship with your Father in heaven. You can call him Abba. They, had always, they didn't want to mention God's name. And he goes, you can pray, our Father, Abba, like the one who loves you. And you can pray at any time. Can I just say, you don't have to wait to get to grace to pray, right? To the facility here. You can pray when you're in the car. You can pray when you're lying in bed. You can pray when you're eating your breakfast. I pray in conversations at times. Evidence of Nehemiah, the guy encouraged me in the Old Testament. In the middle of a conversation, you're going, okay, Lord, I need wisdom right now. I don't pray out loud. Um, you know, help this person to stop being a jerk. Oh, sorry about that. I didn't mean to do pray in front of you. Uh, but, but to say, Lord, I just need wisdom not to respond on this decision right now. Or Lord, help me to honor this person. And you can pray right there. I like to pray when I'm walking. I find it keeps me more alert. Um, I, I used to do it with my eyes closed until I ran into a tree, broke my nose one time. No, that didn't really happen. But uh, you don't have to bow your head. You don't have to close your eyes to pray. You can talk to God at any time. And, and he invites you. Jesus is saying, I want you to pray. And then he tells us, he leaves us this model of a prayer. Would you pray with me? Let's, let's pray this together again. Ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That last phrase was likely added sometime later. We don't know for sure, but it's not in the original manuscripts of, of Matthew um, or the earliest manuscripts. Doesn't mean that the phrase isn't true or doesn't mean that Jesus didn't pray it. It's just not in the earliest manuscripts, but it's similar to how David prayed in 1 Chronicles 29 or how this hymn of praise to Jesus in Revelation chapter 5, I put those and other references in your notes. The words are biblical and it, and it contains a truth that is often the way that I'm sure Jesus prayed, if not on this occasion, where um, he begins and it ends with praise. So he starts off, our Father who art in heaven, like you're, you're great. Holy is your name. Like he focuses on the greatness of God. And then he ends the prayer. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the, you know. And it's, there's something about praise that fixes our focus. If you're following along in your notes, I put down two things there that I think when you pray, rather than just rattling off requests when you pray, inadvertently forgetting the power and the glory of the one that is listening to you, that when you worship in your prayer, that you, you see the Lord in the picture. It's like when you face a crisis and you think, I don't know what to do, I need, I need to pray. I had one of those this week, I'll, I'll tell you about that in a little bit, but I, I just, you just go, Lord, right now, uh, this, this feels really heavy, and it's not a surprise to you, you're all-knowing, God, I believe that you're with me right now. You're with this person that I love. You never get anxious. And so, Lord, right now, I just, I'm, I, wanna, I wanna acknowledge that you're great and you're, you're aware. And God, there's nothing too hard for you. When you praise him like that in your prayer, you're including him in the picture of whatever circumstances you're facing. You're seeing the unseen. Worship also helps us to see the present in view of God's bigger story. What, can we just say this? The current chapter of your life is not the final chapter of your life. And all God's people said, amen, amen right? That's a great, and for people you love that you go, I, oh my goodness, they're in a really bad place right now. That does not have to be the final chapter of their lives either. That we can look to God and say, God, we believe that you can take even evil stuff, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, even evil, and you can turn it into good. So God, thank you that you're writing a, a bigger story, a better story, and, and, and Lord, I want to trust you. I want to see you, and so, so it's appropriate to end a prayer with praise. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory for how long? Forever, forever, amen, which means like I declare it, it's true. So what I want to do is just look at one of each one of those, these three things mentioned in the close of this prayer, starting with saying, Lord, the kingdom belongs to you. There's a present and a future reality to this, that when life is heartbreaking and tough, that we can acknowledge that today God is on the throne. We can say, Lord, even in this even in this situation, I don't know how it's going to resolve itself, you are king. 
you reign. Your authority is not being threatened by what I'm going through right now. And in the future, that we know that Jesus' second coming will launch an amazing new era. There's a verse in your notes from Matthew that says this, that Jesus will come in glory and all the angels with him. It's gonna be the first time that most of us have ever seen an angel. And he will sit on his glorious throne. In other words, he's gonna have completed his, he's, he's gonna reign forever. And we're gonna get to experience, if you've, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you're going to get to experience the wonder of his leadership forever. So Jesus points to a future that helps us to interpret our present. That there's a kingdom that's right now, but it's not fully realized yet. But someday there's gonna be a kingdom, and so today we can say, Lord, the kingdom belongs to you. Let me ask you this question. Are you willing to say yes to King Jesus in every year of your life? That if he's king today, that when we pray for yours is the kingdom. If I say that and I mean that, that means that he's the king and I'm, I'm not, right? And so when his way is at odds with my way, if he's the king, whose way do I take? I, I say yes to him. And I believe that his way is always gonna be better in the long run. Lord, yours is the kingdom. And the what? The power. This week, Mary and I got a phone call. It started with a text, as it often does, and it was someone we really love a lot who is facing a potential medical situation that could be really serious. And as they're telling me, I'm trying to be calm on the outside, but I can feel my anxiety like just dialing up. You ever, do you have that? And uh, I mean, I just, it, I can feel my pulse quickening and I'm getting a little bit anxious and just going, oh man, oh man. And, and Mary will tell you like when, when one of our kids is going through something, like I just don't like to see her kids suffer. Not that Mary does. Yeah, she loves watching. No, she doesn't either. She's just really calm, nursing background. One time one of our kids was having surgery and finally Mary, I was just like in the, room before surgery, she finally goes, she just invited me right out of the room. She goes, hey, why don't you just like go walk the hallways and talk to Jesus, you know, somewhere because you're stressing us out in here. She didn't say it like that, uh, but, but that's the message that I, I, and so I get this call this week and then it's like the Lord said, hey, John, what's that message you're preparing this week? Yours is the kingdom and the power yeah, that's right. Jonathan, do you, do you believe that? Are you willing? I, I hate when the Lord tries to apply my own message to my life. You know, it's just not fair. But if I believe what Jesus is saying, when he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power, that, that means that the authority of Jesus is never threatened. Not when circumstances appear out of control in your life. Not when someone you care about walks away from you or walks away from God. Not when you lose your job or some kind of diagnosis about your health. It's sort of like, he, he just doesn't, he has all power. It's like Jesus in the, 
when he's in the boat in the storm, remember then the waves are like, and these, they're like, we're gonna drown. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. I don't know how that happens. Why? Because he never gets nervous in a storm. He doesn't just speak to nature. He created it. He didn't just see you and he, he, he made you. If, if you believe what this book says, he knew you from before the moment you were born. And so he invites us to say, Lord, you have all power in a world that sometimes seems irretrievably broken or chaotic that we can say, Lord, all, all power is yours. I, I, I acknowledge that today. A friend of mine sent me a quote recently and it, uh, it was this, God is not the author of all things, but he is the master of all things. Would you say that one with me aloud, ready? God is not the author of all things, but he is the master of all things. In other words, God isn't the author of evil. He's not the one who prompts people to do heinous kind of stuff. And yet he's never out of control. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 says that Joseph is telling his brothers, he goes, what you intended for evil, God turned it into what? Into good. Because he's a powerful God. In Romans chapter 8, it says that God takes everything in your life. If you love him, he takes all of the stuff, the bad and the ugly and the crisis and everything and the pain, and he works it to something good for those who love him. God is not the author of all things, but he's the master of all things. He, he can take anything, and he, he can speak to anything in your life and, and transform it. We said earlier that we wanted to listen to the voice of Jesus, and Jesus says, all power and the kingdom belong to, to your Father in heaven. But we said it's not only what we have in special revelation, the word, it's also we have in general revelation in the, in the world, right? So what do we mean by that? When you go out, the, the, what we see in nature can speak, like in Psalm 19 I mentioned, that heavens declare the glory of God. When you go out to the metro parks, a couple weeks ago when we had that fresh snowfall, Mary and I are driving through the metro parks, I'm just like, this is amazingly beautiful. I know it can be treacherous, but you see the snow, Anytime you just take a walk outside or you start to go online and you start to ponder the wonders of the natural world and, and you just, I think, begin to see the fingerprints of a divine intelligence. Like how else can you explain some of what we see in the world? It takes more faith to believe there's not someone behind it all than to say there is. Let me give you a few examples. This ant right here, it's called a driver ant. Some of you like to lift weights and, you know, we might go like, you know, I'm just about lifting my, my own personal weight or whatever. You know how much a driver and how many times this weight it can, it can haul? 5,000 times its body weight. 5,000 times. You know how many ants are in the world, by the way? There are, they say, 100 trillion ants on earth, approximately 14,000 for every person, if that makes you feel more special. I want to know who counted them. Like some kid in college going, you know what I want to be when I grow up? I want to be an ant counter. That's what I'm going to be. How about dolphins? 
not talking about the football team. We're talking about these animals right here. Do you know that they have a signature sound that sort of identifies who they are to other dolphins? And a dolphin can hear the sound of another dolphin, not hear it for another 20 years, hear it and remember which dolphin it is. That's the glory of God. I'm also fascinated by grizzly bears. Mary, my wife, not so much. Whenever we go to a national park, I'm like, I'm really hoping we see a bear, especially a grizzly bear. She's always praying we don't. And usually her prayers are heard more than mine, although we've seen a couple. But as they prepare for hibernation, they enter this eating machine phase called hyperphagia. They'll eat for 20 hours in a row, and then they'll sleep for four, which sometimes looks like the way I eat, you know? And, and they can consume a staggering amount of calories, 100,000 calories per day, the equivalent of 1,282 eggs a day. Who makes a bear like that? Who allows them to go on that eating binge in preparation for months of hibernation? Then those of you who are birders have probably heard how this bird right here, a snipe, uh, has set the bar really high for transcontinental travel. These birds, like some scientists found, uh, they, they were able to capture some of these birds in Sweden, the coast of Sweden, and then so they track them. And these birds, for their migration time, will fly from Sweden all the way down to Sub-Saharan Africa, a distance of over 3,700 miles, and they can do it in one nonstop flight. They'll fly 60 to 90 hours. How does a bird weighing like less than a pound or so do that? The glory of God, the fingerprints of the Almighty. Speaking of amazing migration, scientists still find mysterious the way that monarchs Millions of monarch butterflies will find their way from Central and Eastern America, Canada, and they'll find their way to this little patch of mountainous area in, anybody know what country? Mexico, right. Some people, maybe you've been there. Down in Mexico, this little section of Mexico, you go, how do they know in their pea brain, they're not even the size of a pea, how do they know where to go? You go, well, their parents like set the exam, no. They only migrate once every fourth to fifth generation. That means it was your great, 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 great grandmother monarch who last did it. And when they go down and they migrate, it's not the same monarchs that come back. They all die en route, or once they get down there on their, on their way back. They, they don't, it's a different crew of monarchs. Fingerprints of the Almighty. You all see God's glory in the northern hawk owl, those eyes that are looking right through you. My mother used to look at me like that sometimes. <laughs> you know that they don't have movable eyeballs? Their, their eyeballs are immobile. That's why it looks like they're always staring straight at you, which is why their neck can move 270 degrees because they can't move their eyes like you and I can. But that, that, that owl right there, his eyes are like binoculars. He or she can scope out a field mice, a field mouse, half a mile away. Incredible. How about the wonder of the human body? We could talk about this all day, but I'll just mention it too, that show that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. If you want to, 
that God, he loves the way he made you. Um, one example, when you calculate the blood vessels in your body, you know how long, if you just stretched them all the way out, how long they'd be? 60,000 miles. Your blood vessels would go around the earth two times plus. Just the vessels in your body. Here's one other one you really, if you didn't know, you need to know. Did you know that the average person, you and I, will produce two swimming pools of spit across our lifetime? <laughs> Very important to know. Some of your elbow and the person beside you going, yeah, yours is like three or four swimming pools. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And this planet on which we live, the Earth's weight, six sextillion tons. That's one with 21 zeros after it. it but it's perfectly balanced and turns easily around this invisible axis held in place by unseen bands of gravitation traveling at, like this, at how many miles per hour? Over a 1,000 miles per hour, not to mention thousands more miles per hour going around the, the sun. And we don't go flying off. Why? Because the earth is perfectly balanced with gravitational pull, 23 degrees at an angle like you see up there, so that we have the seasons, at least those of us who are privileged to live in the north, and, and we have seasons that, that, that happen. And you, you see this and you just go, this is, it's amazing. You just, we could keep on going and going. Mary and I have this song we listen to, How Can I Say There Is No God When All Around Creation Calls. I was gonna sing it for you today, but my wife said no. And so, but you know, there's, it's no surprise that someone like Sir James Jeans is, British astronomer said that the universe appears to have been designed by a pure mathematician. It's, it's just that finely tuned. So what about our response? Can we approach the Father believing yours is the power? You know what I invite you to do today? That whatever's on your heart today, whatever you're anxious about, that with me, to stop for a moment and to intentionally see your circumstances against the background of an almighty God that keeps the world spinning at just the right speed, at just the right angle, and sees all of your blood going through 60,000 miles, of, and he knows you. Can we see what we're facing in the light of who he is and to say, God, I trust you. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And then, Lord, you deserve all glory. How long? Forever. You want an interesting study through the scriptures, go to BibleGateway.com or whatever Bible, you know, free software you like to use or free website, and look at the references to God's glory through the Bible. It's pretty remarkable. And what you see is that the glory of God is just the wonder of his presence, his brilliance, the awesomeness of who he is, often accompanied by, by brilliant light. Like when the angel appears uh, to the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus, and it says, the glory of the Lord did what? Shone around them. 
where Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, his body is being transfigured, and, and is brilliant. And, and then you come to the end of the Bible and you see what's going to happen. If, if you turn with me, last pa- passage to turn to, Revelation chapter 21. And, and we read, we get a peak a revelation of what heaven's going to be like. The curtains are pulled back. And here's what it says about heaven in Revelation 21, verse 22. John, the writer, says, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon for what? The glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. Can you imagine that? The glory of God is going to light up the heaven. uh, And it's going to be incredible. And all believers will see the glory of God on full display in heaven. Let me ask you a question. Are you going to be there? Do you know for sure that that is part of your future, that you've put your trust in Jesus? It's a free gift. You can't earn it. You'll never deserve it. You'll never be good enough. But to say, Jesus, I can't make it on my own to heaven. I can't be adopted into your family based on my own merit. Thank you that you died for me. So forgive me, Jesus. I I accept that as my own. I believe in you, and I want you to come into my life and lead me. And when you make that step of commitment, he'll come into your life, and one day you're going to see the glory of God on full display. And and the Bible says over and over again that the challenges of today can't compare with the wonders of your forever. Some of you know that the last couple of years have been a passage that sort of has been important to me, and it's from 2 Corinthians, and it goes like this. The Apostle Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly in our bodies we're wasting away, yet inwardly, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're being renewed, how often? Day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, what you're going through today, your light and momentary troubles, are achieving for us an eternal what? There's the, there's the word again. Achieving for us an eternal glory, that will far outweigh them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is unseen is temporary, this life, your troubles, your problems, but what is unseen is what? Is eternal, it's gonna last forever. The glory of God, Jesus said it. The kingdom and the power and the glory, forever, forever. Our troubles and our pain here, uh, as big as they may seem, if you, when you get to heaven, it's gonna put it all in perspective. So here's the question, where are you fixing your eyes? Will you trust the Lord and the bigger story that he's writing? I want to go back to the original statement we had at the beginning. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. I'll just tell you, I believe it. I believe it, and I think there's no greater demonstration of that than at the cross. It's the ultimate expression that God can always write a bigger story even through great pain and things that he hates. God hates betrayal. He hates injustice. He hates murder. He hates betrayal. He hates all that happened to his son. He permitted what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Forgiveness, reconciliation, bringing you into his family, conquering death, 
and establishing a home in heaven that will last forever. Yes, God sometimes permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Friends, as we take communion in just a few moments, we're affirming that truth. God is writing a bigger story just like he did for his son. That suffering is not the final chapter for Jesus or for us. Death doesn't win for those who trust in Jesus. And our sin doesn't crush our future. And so we turn to him and we can say together this declaration of praise. If you guys would go to the last slider for me, would you do that? Those final three statements. Let's say this together. You ready? Lord, the kingdom belongs to you. Lord, you have ultimate power. Lord, you deserve all glory forever. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. Thank you for teaching us this prayer and, and helping to lift up our vision to the unseen and to, and to declare together the greatness of who you are and that you've given us nature, that the visible creation is a reflection of your invisible power. And so, Lord, today we would say that with our doubts and our grief and the challenges we face and sometimes wrestling with what we even believe, Lord, we invite you to help us to see you more for who you are, to see our lives and our challenges and the light against the backdrop of your character and your ability. Strengthen us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. And thank you for giving us the greatest demonstration of love ever at the cross. Indeed, you're writing a bigger and better story, and we get to be a part of it, and we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, and everyone said, amen, amen.